0: Welcome to the Bethlehem Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 26th of August 2012, entitled Poverty with a Purpose. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, let me invite you to open your Bibles for our scripture reading this evening. It will be taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And read verses 1 through 9. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Holy Word taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality... For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God, so much that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also." Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love, for ye know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor." That ye through his poverty might be rich. Father, we do thank you so much this evening. Lord, that we can have this time together, together with your word. Lord, that you have so miraculously and graciously preserved for us down through the years. for your spirit that we know that lives and dwells within us even at this time, that can take these words, make them alive into our hearts. Lord, we know that you know the hearts of each and every individual. You know our hearts better. Than we ourselves. Father, you know every need here this evening. So, Lord, we know that as you have laid this passage upon our hearts, Lord, that you've given us these simple thoughts. We pray, Lord, that it would be you that would speak here this evening to each and every individual. Give each one that that is most needed. And Father, we must pray that if there be one in our midst that is lost without Jesus, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that this day, by your marvelous grace, They may come to know Him in that personal way. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, this passage that we are looking at, it is a passage that I've certainly brought you to a number of times over the years. As we have looked at this great testimony here of the Church of Macedonia, how that they were giving. They were actually pleading with the apostles to allow them to be a part of their ministry. And the Bible tells us that they did everything they could, but there in verse 3, four, to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. It didn't make economic sense what this church was doing. They had a heart for God. And what they were doing was not something that could be calculated and accredited to man and their own ability, but it was something that was beyond them that God was doing through them. And of course, as he is writing to the church at Corinth and he is using the testimony of the church of Macedonia, of course, he goes on and he takes from this their example of what they were doing. And of course, he's encouraging the church at Corinth that with all of these wonderful things that that gifts that they have, the graces that are working amongst them, he, he told them there in verse seven, therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also, this grace of being able to uh, to give beyond their means of being able to allow God. To work through them, that was which was impossible for man. And of course, he makes it very clear that he wasn't speaking by commandment, but this was a way for them to prove the sincerity of their love. I want our attention, that's the context that this is being spoken in, but in, in telling them, he gives them this testimony of the church of Macedonia and this, this thing that God had done through them that was, that was beyond man. And, and he encourages the church at Corinth that with all of their gifts and the wonderful things that is happening among them, that they would excel in this grace also. And notice he gives them a reason here in verse 9. He says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I want us to think on this thought this evening, simply poverty with a purpose. You know that in this life, most of the time, most of us have seen some form of poverty. I was talking with Nat back there, and I was talking about our trip to Kenya and about the, the phenomenal poverty to that, I, that I saw on a level that I'd never seen before. I've been a lot of places and I've seen pockets of poverty where there were areas of people that were doing well and areas where people really had very little, but I'd never seen poverty on that grand a scale. I wonder, even if I ask you here this evening, how many of you have ever really known poverty The truth is, is that we are such a blessed people that most of us think that we are experiencing poverty many times when we are so, so richly blessed. And the truth is, though, is that there are people, and you meet people and I meet people all the time that really are in poverty. The thing is that even here on our streets of Birmingham, we can go down and we can find people that are there, and they are literally homeless they have no home to go to. They may not know where their next meal is coming from. They are experiencing genuine poverty. You know, in this life, I have never known. I've known a lot of people. I've seen a lot of things. But I've never known anyone that chose, yes, I want to live in poverty. I don't want anything. I want everything to be taken, my clothes, my home, Whatever possessions that I might have, I desire to live with nothing. You see, people are usually put into a position of poverty in this world by circumstances, not by choice. And I want you to notice this passage. And it's really a wonderful thing because, again, let me read verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Ye know. Of course, ye here, the plural. He's speaking to all of the all of the individuals that are there that are part of this church. You know, literally, it carries with it the idea to come to know something. You're coming to know. It's something that is given in the present tense, but it has a continuous action behind it. It's not something that is just done and finishes. It's something that is being done and continues to be done. You see, these believers, these are believers that he's writing to that are part of this church. These believers in Corinth, they needed to learn about the life of Christ They were learning at this point through the teaching of the Apostle when God's Word was being written, but you see, they were constantly coming to know, you know, a person can be saved even at a very, very young age. They can spend time reading their Bible every day of their life. They can sit in Bible studies. They can sit under sermons. They can truly feed upon the Word of God, and yet... There is always more to learn, always more to know from God's Word, more to know about the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace. Ye you know, he said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace here is the object of that which they are continuing to know more all the time about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. We can try to describe it. It's such a magnificent thing that we need to be reminded of it time and time again in God's word, and in, in so many ways, It's something that is the very source of that which we've been seeing about this evening. That redemption, that it's ours, that is ours through Jesus Christ, through the grace, the God imparts to each of us, we need to come to know, to understand more and more and more every day. Peter was hinting at this when he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he said, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to grow. And you know, that's really what the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage this church at Corinth and to us today to do, is to keep on knowing, to keep on growing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 15 and verse 11 says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. You know, that's something that each and every one of us, individually, not as a whole, but individually, must come to see, must come to, to recognize that our only hope of redemption, that our only hope of salvation is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it's only through Him. You know, one of the great dangers that we face and we see it all around us. Matter of fact, one of the things that usually distinguishes a truly Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, evangelistic church with those that call themselves churches by all names or sects or whatever is the fact that somewhere along the way, someone tries to mix just maybe a little bit of works in with that grace. Something that we can do, it just doesn't make sense to us. We can't reason it out. It seems much more reasonable that, you know, that we can do something to appease God, something to amend for all of our wrongs. And yet, when we look at God's grace, when we look at these that would pervert the gospel by mixing works with grace, in actual fact, do you realize that when you try to add anything to grace, you render the gospel completely powerless? It is no longer effective, though it is the greatest thing in all of the world. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified. You know, we've looked at that word and we've looked at lots of different things and it's again one of those almost inex- but. That little simple thought, just as if I'd never sinned. To be justified before God, to be able to stand before God justified, just as if you had never sinned a sin in all of your life through the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, He did that work of redemption. And of course, it is through faith in His finished work that you and I can experience that grace. Sometimes, sometimes some of the hardest people to come to truly recognize what salvation, what redemption is truly all about is those that come from a background where that something else has been mixed in with it. They've always thought that it was their prayers, their deeds, their religious activity, all of these things that somehow made it okay with God. The Bible tells us in that great verse in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith. Wow. <laughs> one of the most powerful truths that you could ever try to get your head around. It is by grace. There is only one pathway. There is only one road. There is only one access that a human being has to that wonderful grace of God, and that's faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. Cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We can't reason it out. We take God's word for it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to this young preacher, and he gives him this advice: he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy this is where your strength is going to come from. You're going to need it. You know, you're a minister of the gospel. He's already he's given them all these warnings, and he's going to give them a whole lot more of the many things that he's going to have to face, of the attitudes of the people that he's going to be ministering to. But Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's exhorting him to be strong in that one place, the only place that he can find it. That grace is found in Jesus Christ. You see, the simple truth is, and what Paul in his way is trying to get across to the church at Corinth, is that we, could, we should continue to grow. Yes, and, and, and to be strong in the grace, that grace that is ours only through Jesus Christ. I've said before, God's grace, it is so big It is so magnificent that no matter how long we live, no matter how long that we try to to master it, we are continually to grow, to know, to understand it more. You've heard me probably, some of you at least, give the illustration before that, you know, I mean, God didn't bring down some earthquake or something, but I do really believe that it was something that God gave a, a, a simple mind uh, to really get something across to. And, and you know, I, I think back and I was, just, I was just a young man, a young preacher, and, and, and I was trying to, to, to grasp some of these things and get my head around them. And, boy, they were just so big and it was so frightening. And, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, I've got to get up before people and I've got to be able to, to preach about this and teach them something about this. And I, I can't even get my own head around it, Brother Steve. And this, this, this picture, this idea, this thought, it just came to me. And I guess I was thinking of myself because at that point I was coming to recognize that, you know, as a, I, I guess not so much as a young Christian, but as a, as a Christian that began to mature. You know, I looked around at all those bad people in the world, and I, I was a pretty good guy, <laughs> And, and, you know, as I really, Brother Steve, began to get involved in my church and I wanted to do more and more, I kind of had this old niggling, it's sin, I know. I know you probably haven't done it, but it's called pride. And I began to think, you know, yeah, my church is pretty lucky to have me. You know, <laughs> I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I'm gonna... Now, this was with the best of intentions. But God began to convict my soul and He began to show me. I began to understand that, man, I've, I've, I've been in church all my life. I've, I've sat under a dad that was a pastor all my life, and yet I know so little. And I begin to get this idea, the Christian life is, you know, you, you start out at that moment when so many different ways, but what happens to each and every one of us is when God first brings that light into our lives. Through the Holy Spirit, through His Word, it might be through some Christian that is witnessing to you, it might be through a Sunday school teacher that is teaching you, it might be through some preacher that's preaching, it might be through somebody that you work with or go to school with, but God uses somewhere, something. Maybe somebody handed you a tract in passing, but a light is turned on. You see, your sinfulness. That first time, there's that time. Now, you may or may not respond to it, but there's a point in your life when you recognize and see your sin for the first time. You don't see that in the darkness that you're in. You only see that because God gives you that light. And of course, Jesus Christ is that light. But there comes that point when through that light, you recognize your sin and you see Jesus Christ for who He is for the first time and you put your faith and trust in His finished work. You become a Christian. And you know, that's just that, that light that has come into your life. But your Christian life just begins at that point. It doesn't. That's not the end of it. That's the beginning. And, 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 and your Christian life, it's like you're traveling down this long tunnel. The light is all the way at the other end. And of course, that light in its pureness is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His light that's shining upon me. It's His light that's allowing me to see myself. It's His light that's allowing me to see God's Word and see what needs to be done in my life. And of course, you see that sin and, and you go to Him and you do something about it. And what happens? You, you go a bit further along in your Christian life and you're getting closer to the light. Have you ever had maybe a, a dark piece of clothing that you liked a lot and, you know, You'd go to put it on, and as soon as you put it on, as soon as you get in the light, you see all these little specks. Lint really shows up on dark things. You know, it's like my wife loves for me to wear black, but I hate to wear black because it shows everything, you know, every little speck, you see it on there. The simple truth is, is that in our Christian life, you know what happens? The closer we get to the light, the more we see of our sin. You see, I'm convinced of this, folks. (laughs) As we mature as we grow in grace, as we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't see ourselves in a better light. We see Jesus in a better light. I see myself more unworthy all the time. I recognize and I the closer you get to Jesus. Forget about what it looks like with everybody else. The closer I get to Him, the more I recognize, the more I understand His grace. How wonderful, the more I understand that I didn't deserve any of this, folks. I couldn't be more honest. I'm I'm not trying to be super humble. I deserve less than anybody in the world to be a child of God. I certainly deserve because I believe one of the greatest privileges that God has given me since he saved me was allowing me to preach his word. And yet that's not because I'm a better Christian, a cleaner Christian, a smarter Christian than you. It's all because of God's grace. He knew what he was getting, and he got me, and he called me. And I still don't understand it, Brother Steve. I still don't understand why he wants me. I mean that with all my heart. I don't understand it. But it helps me to understand his grace. And here's the thing in our Christian life, we grow in grace. The closer we get to Jesus Christ, we grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The closer we get to him, the more we grow in that grace the more we'll understand it, the bigger that it gets and the smaller that we get because we'll understand more and more all the time how little we deserve and yet what greatness that He has done for us. The Apostle Paul is trying to help this church at Corinth to understand, to know, to keep knowing God's grace more and more, to understand this grace that's theirs in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is just another Aspect, if you would, of that grace. God's grace is actually found and understood in this fact that through Jesus, though He was richer than anything that we can even begin to imagine, He became poor for our sakes. You know, I said, most people experience poverty, and it's the last thing that they want. But God's Word is telling us here that by choice, He chose poverty. We find that there's something else pretty astounding about that if we can begin to grasp it. His trip. Many people that land in poverty, they come from all kinds of levels. And yes, there are some very wealthy people in this world that have lost everything and ended up in poverty, not because they chose, but because of circumstances. The simple truth is this. We're not even beginning. Matter of fact, I think it's impossible because we can't go high enough. We can't calculate high enough to understand the riches that Jesus Christ had. We only know the riches of man. And we can see the tremendous way that man can fall from his great riches to having nothing. And yet, this trip that Jesus chose to make from his riches to nothing was the longest journey that anybody's ever made from riches to poverty. There are no riches in this world. The richest of men and the riches that all the men of this world could put together will not compare to the riches that he's telling us right here that he gave up to become poor. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, you don't know rich like that word there means, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. You see, Jesus chose poverty, but it was poverty with a purpose, (laughs) The biggest purpose in poverty and life down here for most people is to get out of it if possible, as quickly as possible. But Jesus chose to go there for a purpose. What does it mean to be really poor? I've already said most of us really don't even begin to grasp that. I do believe this. I believe that, Brother Nat, one of those days that we were preaching on the street there in Kenya, And I've shared with the people, you know, that, you know, one of the heartbreaking things is I I saw people like I hadn't seen before that, you know, sometimes people come up and ask me for food for a meal here. And in looking at them, I wonder if they're really wanting it for a meal or if they're wanting it for something else. But I'm talking about people that you could look at them and they didn't have to ask you. It was obvious. They hadn't eaten in a while. I shared with some that you know, one day I just came around the corner and here was three of them sitting there. And I, I took these three guys and I took them to a little shop and I, and, I, and I bought them something to eat and something to drink. And the next thing I knew, well, the queue was starting to build up. They were lining up down the street. Nobody said a word. Nobody asked for anything. You could see it in their eyes, just the hope of a meal, the hope of something. And, of course, the thing that hit me deep then was, wow, <laughs> and we complain, and we complain. And, you know, and I I begin to think, well, what could we really do? (laughs) What could we really do? You know, we're limited in, in a certain amount, and I was certainly limited with what I had that day, but what could we really do to see people that genuinely don't know where their next meal is coming from? The thing is that oftentimes, I think, even in reading this verse as many times as we, as we might have read it, that, you know, we can't grasp the riches of glory. We can't grasp a sinless. We can't grasp a place of the one that owns everything. But that's not the only riches here. You see, it wasn't just the riches in glory that he gave up, but it's speaking of the riches that he gave up here on this earth. You see, even here, He willingly gave up home, occupation, all that He had, what security that He had in this earthly life, in order to minister to others. He put aside His riches, the great and the small, and He identified with the poor of this world. Of course, the sad thing is, is that He identified with everyone in this world because even the richest of the temporal things of this world, they're really poor, but just most often don't realize it. Most of them don't know it because they think what they have, what they call their riches, that it's really worth something. But, you know, in the end, it doesn't go in the coffin with them. It's all temporal. One day, it will all every bit of it, be completely worthless. It won't be worth anything. John Gill says this concerning this verse. He says that, speaking of Christ, that though he was rich in the perfections of his divine nature, having the fullness of the Godhead in him, all that the Father has and so equal to him, such as eternity and immutability and infinity and immensity, omnipresence and omniscience and omnipotence in the works of His hand which reach to everything that is made in the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them are, things visible and invisible in His universal empire and dominion over all creatures and in those large revenues of glory which are due to him from them all, which riches of his are not derived from another, incommunicable to another, and cannot be lost. He's trying. <laughs> He's trying to describe with a lot of adjectives there just what kind of riches that Jesus Christ really gave up. And I want you to remember this this evening. There was a purpose in the poverty of our Lord. He didn't do this just so we'd have a a good story to read one day. You see, it was necessary in the plan of redemption. It was necessary in the plan of redemption for Jesus Christ to become poor. He did it voluntarily. And he did it for a purpose. That purpose was for each and every one of you that are his to become rich. Jesus gave it all up. He became poor. The Bible says that ye through his poverty might be rich. God said that. That was his purpose. He gave it all up so that you could be rich. Now he's not speaking here of the Nothingness of man's riches in this world. It's not even speaking of riches that can be found anywhere in this world. He's talking about sharing the wealth of heaven, the wealth of eternity, something that's bigger than you'll ever be able to comprehend in your mind. When you think that you've just about figured out how rich it is, you'll figure out then that you haven't even begun to scratch the surface. We're talking about a richness that exceeds all the riches of this world put together. We're talking about a richness that exceeds anything that any human being has ever seen or thought of before. I hath not seen. <laughs> The simple truth is nobody's ever seen it. No ear's ever heard. It's never even been able to enter into our minds. I want to give you a couple of things that just shows and illustrates the poverty that Jesus Christ took on, the poverty that he did with a purpose for your ability to be rich. You see, we see his poverty even in his birth. We could look at many places, but Luke chapter 2, verse 7 says, And she, speaking of Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I'm saying to you that the creator and sustainer of all that is, the one that owns the universe, that he came to this earth and he took on poverty that he came and that he was born in a stable where they kept the animals, and he was laid in a manger, the feeding trough for those animals, wrapped in rags. The owner of the universe, that's the kind of poverty that he took on, that you might be rich. But we see it not only in his birth, but we see it in his bed. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I'm really talking about in the lack. You know, Luke chapter 9 verse 58 says this very clearly. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Even the animals, they have something that They call home that they can lay their bed in. You know, there are some poor people in this world. And yes, there are some that are homeless. But you know, I thank God that at least here it's a minority. I want you to recognize that, you know, even most of the poor of this world have you seen some of the real slums? I mean, if you have seen that kind of poverty that people live in in a lot of those slums? You can go to many places in the world and find them. But you know what? Matt, even most of them have a home. It might be tin or cardboard, but they have something that's called home. And even most of those people have something to call a bed, some kind of a makeshift place to lay down their head. But the Bible's telling us Jesus Christ had no place to lay his his head. He didn't even have a shack. He didn't have a makeshift place. He had no place to lay his head. We also see this poverty in the benevolence of others. Look with me in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8. Gospel of Luke chapter 8. Notice what he says here beginning in verse 1, and it came to pass afterward that He, Jesus, went throughout every city and village preaching, showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And first of all, the twelve were with Him, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, and notice these last words, which ministered unto him of their substance. Jesus here is an itinerant preacher. He's going from city to city, from village to village, which ministered unto him of their substance. What do you think that word ministered means? It literally means to attend to someone, to wait upon someone. It comes from the same root word that we get our word deacons for, for serving in the church. It means one that waits upon another, one that attends to someone else's needs. And guess what that word substance there means? It means the things which one has, their property, their possessions. You see, these people that are named, and the Bible says, and many others, they attended to his needs. They supplied his needs out of the possessions that they had. They were willing to use what they had to meet the very needs, I'm sure, of the Lord Jesus Christ. His needs, his meals, his food. We find that we see his poverty in the birth, in the way that he entered this world. We see it in his bed and not even having a bed, a place to, to lay his head while in this world. We see it in his ability to be ministered to by others, the benevolence, benevolence of others to meet his needs, to minister to his needs. We see it in a passage that we looked at here sometime back. We see it, we see his poverty and is becoming a servant, a servant. You know, the Bible teaches us a lot about Jesus Christ, the the King of kings and and the Lord of lords becoming a servant to others. But here's a passage that we looked at some time back in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Notice what the Word of God says. Verse 2 says, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, and therefore said he, you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, I verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye you know these things, happy are ye that do them. In other words, here is the one say. You call me Lord, you call me Master. It's Jesus Christ. And yet we find him here with his disciples literally getting down, humbling himself before them and washing their dirty feet. He's showing his humility. This was a place of a servant, the one that was the least in the household. And yet Jesus was saying, I do this for you. And of course we know. He told them they would understand later. He told them that they're If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. That's why we sing that second hymn this evening. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Simple truth is this, friend. No matter how good that you might be, no matter how much a greater dose of religion that you might have, the same thing that Jesus said, if Jesus doesn't wash you, then you'll have no part with him. And he's not talking about just washing the dirt from your feet as he made clear with Peter. He's talking about that you need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the only thing that will wash away the sins. But Jesus Christ, he gave up everything. He became poor so that you and I could be rich. He became a servant so that he could serve you and I and wash us, and wash away our sins. You see, Jesus Christ, we see His poverty finally, even in His burial. Luke chapter 23, a familiar passage, verses 50 to 53, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews. He also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that he was hewn in stone wherein never man before was laid. You see, he came in that stable laid in a manger, wrapped in rags. After growing into a man, he was willing to give up everything to serve others. He began at the age of 30 to minister to all those around him. We see his poverty. There was nothing that contradicted in everything, in his birth and his death and everything in between. We see the example because he was willing The poverty that was self-imposed, not by anyone else. A poverty with a purpose. Jesus had a purpose in becoming poor. That you, you might become rich. I wonder if I ask you this evening, do you really know about the riches of His grace? Oh, I know you'll never grasp it all, but do you know? There's nothing like it in all of the world. Do you know about the riches of being saved, of being a child of the King? No matter what this world may think of you, no matter where this, where this world may take you, to know that you belong to Him, Do you know it's through His poverty that believers become rich. And it's through His poverty that every one of you either are rich or can be rich this evening. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. That's the riches that he wants to give you. Any inheritance you get down here. You might think, boy, if my rich so-and-so died and just left this to me, well, it's, It's all corruptible. It will corrupt. Any inheritance that you get in this world, it's not undefiled. It's been defiled by the fall. The curse is on it all. (laughs) There's a curse on this earth. Any inheritance that you get in this life, I promise you, it will fade away. It will not last. One day, sin and everything that is touched will be done away with. Our riches that we have, thank God, are not of this world. They're reserved in heaven for us. You know, we think about these things, it ought to even make a Baptist shout. (laughs) It ought to bring some joy to our hearts to recognize and understand, and this is what... Paul, in writing to that church at Corinth, he was wanting them to know, to keep on knowing, to knowing better and better and better the grace of God. And one of the great ways that they could see that was in Jesus Christ becoming poor, giving up everything so that they could be rich. Wow. (laughs) You know, When I think about Jesus doing that for me, it overwhelms me. You know, if I I could even, in my simpleness as a man, if I could even begin to express what I feel in my heart, if I could even begin to express the greatness of what we're reading about in this one verse in God's Bible, it would please me to no end. I can't do that, but I can tell you this, there's only one way that you can know that grace. There's only one way that you can get a little bit of a glimpse of that which I, yes, I know, and I keep knowing, and yet it's so impossible to even explain. But it's there for you. It's there for everyone, but it can only be experienced in Jesus Christ. Only then can you begin to grasp it. No lost person will ever understand it. It'll, it, it. None of it makes sense to them. But as a child of God, as we look upon it, remember, remember even as we've been looking these past few Sundays at the Lord's Supper, you know, for most it's just become some meaningless ritual. But anything in our life, the purpose mm-hmm bringing us face-to-face with Jesus, bringing us in contact with Him, and getting rid of anything that would separate us from Him. The truth is, is that each and every one of us, as we look at Him and we look at what He did, we begin to grasp just a little bit more, wow, you know, what's the grandest thing that anybody ever did for you? What's the biggest favor that that anybody ever, what was was something that got you out of the most trouble? We show, we feel appreciation. You know, I've, I've met many people that had a bond that would last for a lifetime because maybe they were soldiers together in the ditches and one owed his life to the other one. As Christians, boy, we owe it all to him. We owe it all to him. Let us not let this world, the riches of this world, let it not take our sight off of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And let us not forget, He willingly gave it all up so that you could be rich. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, as we've tried to just skim the thoughts of this verse in your Bible, Lord, that reminds us of how that we can continue to to know you more and more all the time, to continue to know that grace that's in the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he became poor for our sakes, so that through his poverty we might be rich. Lord, I, I, I can't even begin to understand why you've done that for us, but I pray this evening I pray that for each of us that are here as Christians that somehow by your spirit, not by the words of this preacher, but Lord, take the feebleness of what I've said, but most of all, take your word. Let us speak to the hearts and just remind folks this evening of what great riches that we have in Christ, of that wonderful grace, Lord, that you've done it all for us. We're so undeserving. but Lord, I genuinely want to pray also, Lord, if there's one here this evening not for our sakes, but for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that we can count anything, but, Lord, that you can have the glory. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts if they're here and don't know Jesus Christ. Help them to grasp and understand that it's only in Jesus Christ. It's only in his finished work. It's only putting their faith and trust in him that they can experience this grace in the first place. And it's only in him that, Lord, that they can grow in that grace and in the understanding of all that Jesus really is. Work in their hearts. Help them, Lord. They would not go another day in their life without experiencing that wonderful grace that you have for them. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.